It was Peter Wallen who challenged me to think about Easter Saturday. Um, we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago and he said, we hear lots of sermons and stuff about Good Friday and there's lots of stuff said about Resurrection Sunday, but what about that day in between? So I thought I would take him seriously, not simply because it's a tad under-discussed, but I think actually Easter Saturday does offer us something that's very, very important in our discipleship journey. Whereas the crucifixion is very confronting and resurrection is kind of mind-blowing, Holy Saturday is uncomfortably confusing in a kind of way. Holy Saturday really marks the end of hope. And I'll tell you why I say that. For the religious authorities responsible for Jesus' death, there was a very deliberate intent to end any hope associated with Jesus. They actually take purposeful steps to ensure that people cannot create an ongoing myth about this guy. He talked about resurrecting. Let's make sure no one can sneak his body out and say that he rose again. We will take steps. We'll put a guard, we'll make a seal, we'll have a large stone, all of that. All the talk about him rising again, they knew they had to quash it immediately. They wanted a very firm full stop at the end of the crucifixion, and so they wanted hope to end. Alexander Solzhenitsyn tells the story in the Gulag in, uh, in Russia, or the USSR as it was, that uh, guards forced prisoners to carry back-breakingly heavy sacks of salt from one end of the yard to the other. And when all the sacks were on the other side of the yard, they made them pick them up and carry them back to where they started. It was absolutely pointless work. It was hard, crushing effort, but it was meaningless. And the idea was to break their spirits that they might lose hope because it's much easier to get the better of any challenger if you can actually extinguish their hope. Now, while the religious authorities had their own reasons for wanting to extinguish hope in Jesus, there was actually a need for the disciples, paradoxically, to lose their hope in Jesus, the hope such as they had it, because it was kind of a misshapen hope. It was furnished with content from their past, as it must be, but they'd not yet grasped what was ahead. The disciples still imagined a victorious warrior triumphing over their political and military enemies. There was no way of knowing or appreciating that defeating their enemies using the same power as their enemies was actually to submit to their enemies' rules. Taking on the enemy's terms really is to be defeated before you even engage in the battle. The rub was that they didn't know any other way. That was the challenge of it. The disciples needed to learn to hope in a whole new way, but that could only happen after they'd let go of the grip of their existing or previous hope. The challenge of letting go of the only hope one has is the risk of hopelessness, which is a very disturbing place to be. Hope is one of those things that's not easy to quantify, Yet one thing is sure, it makes a huge difference if you have none. When there's nothing calling us into life, we quickly lose our way, like the prisoners in the gulag. If we lack a compelling reason to keep us going, things easily fall apart. The Proverbs put it this way in 
Proverbs 29:18, when there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who, lead, who heeds wisdom's instruction. So if there's nothing holding us together, things fall apart and we go every which way and it's all meaningless. Now, there's a fascinating thing about human beings, right? Of all the animals, as far as we can tell, human beings are the only ones that require a story to make sense of life. And we need to make sense of life, to find meaning or make meaning and find a purpose. And this is where stories are so vital because we have a high level of interdependence in human society. If you just consider all our critical infrastructure, for example, transport systems, telecommunications, utilities, water, electricity, garbage collection, for goodness sake, food security, all these things are examples of how social we are. You can't run your life on your own. You are dependent on thousands of people to live the lifestyle that you live. We actually do lots of stuff with and for one another every day. Our society is held together in an amazing way and it takes a comprehensive and widely held unifying story most of the time to keep such a complex society from fragmenting and then cannibalising itself. The, de- the development of flusher of the f- and blah, take two. The development and flourishing of Western civilization was made made possible by the coherent and cohesive narrative of the gospel, by and large. This was a narrative of divine self-giving, a self-giving saviour, which informed our deepest level of intuition. It told us that the highest expression of life was in fact found in the act of self-giving. And this story taught us to respond to our calling, our vocation as it were, to make our contribution to the world. That's where we discover what life is all about. Now, should that narrative unravel, and it is for many people, it's understandable that lots of things don't make sense and people begin to feel lost. The disciples were living according to the narrative that their longed hoped for Messiah would intervene in history in such a way as to deliver them from those who oppressed them. When this narrative failed on the Friday when Jesus was crucified, they didn't have an alternative story to hold on to. And there is a sense in which the revelation of God is always beyond our imagining. That's kind of part of the deal. That's why it's revelation, really. It's not something that we progressively work towards that's discoverable through our research or scientific endeavour, experimentation, that kind of things. We don't naturally evolve into the thing that is revelation. It's a quantum leap, not just to new theories or the discovery of new data, but it's a new way of seeing and weighing the importance of things. Everything changes because the person is changed. We can't imagine this. We can't construct it. We can't make it happen. And we can't fake it. When the disciples are in the garden with Jesus after their Passover celebration, the night the soldiers came to arrest him, they went for their swords. They were ready to fight. 
And Jesus stopped them. I think Peter even struck the ear of one of the high priest's servants or something. And Jesus said, no, not this way. And they, was, they were dumbstruck. They said, well, if not this way, what way? And they dropped their swords and they ran away because they just didn't know what else to do. And Holy Saturday is that kind of space in which the familiar narrative has been lost, but the new narrative hasn't been discovered yet. It's really one of the most distressing of all places, I think. We're much happier with a story we understand. It's equivalent to a map, in a way. We know where we are on the map, and we know where we want to go, and using the map we can work out our next steps. But when the where we are has just been cut off, and the where we are headed has not yet become apparent, it's impossible to go anywhere with any confidence. I think you see this in the conversation with the disciples heading out of Jerusalem uh, shortly after Jesus' crucifixion. They're on their way to Emmaus, and they're downcast, and they're grieving, and it's clear they're not sure what happens next. And so this Holy Saturday represents a pause and it's an important one. It's not just, well, we didn't know what else to do so we had a Holy Saturday. It's time that we need to process what's going on. It takes time to come to terms with things and to let go of things. Grief is a process that cannot be rushed. If we try to rush it, then the grief itself simply gets buried somewhere within us and then starts to express itself in unhealthy ways. We need to enter this disturbing experience of no longer being able to hope in what we previously hoped for, to not hold on to what we previously clung to. We need to know that it is gone from us, otherwise we will cling to it. I was recently told a very traumatic story of a, a, a couple whose young daughter had died in a tragic accident. And this couple had kept their daughter's bedroom exactly as it had been when she died. It was kind of a, a monument to her life. And the person telling me the story said that she'd gone to visit this couple and it was kind of eerie, a bit creepy really, because the most noticeable presence in the home was the absence of this girl. The inability to let go of someone who has gone stops the grieving process. Those who cannot accept the loss live in a kind of unreality. They do things to help themselves pretend that what's real isn't happening. And they do other things to try and hold on to something that really isn't real. It's past and it's gone, but they want to hold on to it. And unfortunately, that isn't healthy. But there is a great potential for something wonderful to happen in this challenging space. In fact, I think some of the most challenging moments in life are when we make the decision to change our maps, to get a, a new sense of where we're going and how to get there. That is to say, we work out that the map that we've been using isn't sufficient. It's not taking us where we really need to go. And so we make a, de a deliberate decision to let go of it. 
I think the notion of repentance, conversion, if you like, rightly understood, is a bit like that. We're saying, not that map. I need a new one. I've told you before of the experiences that Joe and I had in the slums around Delhi. We went there to do a course and um, learnt mainly from young women who took us deep into these massive slum areas. They're, they were huge areas and we would meet a family and they'd introduce us and we'd learn some things. But the thing about it was, in those uh, situations, the thing that you really must not do is lose sight of the person who's taking you. Because Slums just grow organically and there's very narrow winding paths and the little houses are, or shacks such as they are, are just high enough that you can't see over them. So if you've ever entered into a maze, it's a bit like that. And you turn a corner and you lose sight of the person who's guiding you. There's no way to find your way out. You are lost. And if you don't know the local language, you're probably lost for a long time. No maps exist for these slums, and if they did, they'd be obsolete very quickly because they keep growing and changing. In this kind of scenario, you don't want a map. You want a reliable guide, someone who can show you where to go next and knows where they are going. Holy Saturday is this time when the disciples begin to realise that their maps were obsolete. They weren't going to show them where they needed to go. And no new map was going to cut it either. They were entering an entirely unfamiliar context. They were entering the kingdom of God. There are no maps. We need a reliable guide. And the risen Lord is our reliable guide. So I think we do well to pay respect to the tradition of Easter Holy Saturday. It indicates that there is a time between the times where we need to let go of our ingrained ways that are so deep within us. And that doesn't happen instantaneously. It does take time. We need that time. We need time to realise that any map we might make or use will not be adequate. The only way forward is to take hold of the hand of our risen guide. He will show us the way of the kingdom. He will help us decide where to place our feet. It's a process I think we have to continue to revisit. We're prone to believe that we have it all mapped out. I do that regularly. I know. Now it makes sense. I know where I'm going. Until, of course, it doesn't make sense and I don't know where I'm going. Next time your map fails, reach for the hand of our reliable risen guide. He'll tell you where to put your feet. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have gone ahead of us and yet you've come to bid us come with you. And as we make our way through a life that often seems very confusing, when things don't work out the way we expect, or indeed it appears the world has gone even crazier than we thought possible. Thank you that you show us where to put our feet and we need nearly simply put our hand in your hand and you will show us where to go. Amen.